Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome to Daily Duff Differently. I'm Michael Bernstein, the rabbi of Congregation Gesher Torah in Alpharetta, Georgia. We'll be studying today the Duff of Megillah Kaftet. And one of the themes that runs through this Duff is the question of where God's presence dwells and in what way God's presence can actually be measured? In what way does God's presence have to be in one place or another? And uh, through the recognition of God's presence in a person, how do we measure their impact? We begin at the top of the daf by seeing this question similarly to the way that it was seen uh, in yesterday's daf through the death of a Talmud Chacham. And the question is, it begins by telling us talmid chacham hamet kala, that uh, rather hamet kala, that it's okay to put aside Talmud Torah in order to deal with the the needs of the dead as well as to to marry uh, a person. But it goes on to talk specifically about the issue of what is the time that a person can put aside the Talmud Torah in order to do a, the kavod, the honor, of attending to the needs of one who dies? The answer is when there isn't enough, that uh, there isn't enough other people there. And how do we measure that? In fact, it is different for different people. And in the case of a Talmud Chacham, that, uh, that number is actually quite large. It says that in the case of a person who has learned uh, Mishnah and uh, Torah, that tresar alfei gavre, that there needs to be 12,000 people, and either in addition or as part of it, 6,000 others shipure, who are blowing the, the shofar. And there's a different discussion about the different numbers and so on, but um, what we do find is that in the case of a person who's learned, that is the minimum amount that a person can say, well, there's enough there. But in fact, in the case of a person who not only has learned, but also has taught, there is no minimum amount. And so you are always needed to attend to such a person. And clearly, this is not just about attending to one who has died, but to the Torah that's within them. And that's made explicit as the source goes on to say that, in fact, the number should be 600,000. How do we know? We make a connection between the netina and the netilata. What is the netina, the giving? The giving of the Torah at Sinai, which was done, of course, with 600,000 men present. And the netilata, what is the taking away? The taking away by the death of this scholar. And uh, in that case, again, there should be 600,000 present. So we see this powerful connection, again, whether it's homiletical rather than uh, specifically uh, measuring the exact number. It's not about how many are there, but what is the symbolism? 
In the case of a person who was the embodiment of Torah, when they're taken from this world, it should be with an attendance that is commensurate with, commensurate with the number who were present when Torah was given to the world through Sinai. And this staff will even talk a bit about uh, that experience of giving uh, the Torah at Sinai. But what I want to focus on uh, in the conclusion of this uh, discussion is the part that talks about the Shekhinah itself, God's presence. We learn that, uh, according to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that we can see how beloved Israel is to God because God will go into exile with Israel. Shegalu Shechina Imahen, that God's presence, the part of the Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Holy One that we call the Shechina, God's presence goes with them in exile. And different verses will make this case for the exile in Egypt and the exile in Babel, in Babylonia. But I want to focus in on one statement, seemingly a throwaway, because it talks about the fact that when the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, and Galut, right, when the temple is destroyed and we go into exile, that in fact we do so with the Shechina, with God's presence, but in a very specific way. In these two specific synagogues, one in a place Hutzal and another referred to as the one that was destroyed and rebuilt in Nahardea. And just in case we might think that the Shechina is in both places at once, the lo tema hacha v'hacha, ele zimnin hacha v'zimnin hacha. Don't say that it was at both places at once, but rather sometimes here and sometimes there. And that is the curious place, because you might think that the reason to say don't think that the Shechina is in two places at once is that we might have an idea that God's presence can only be in one place at a time. That doesn't sound exactly the way we think of Judaism today, but maybe it's developed over time, that God is everywhere. But in fact, we actually have other sources, such as Sanhedrin Lamitet, that specifically say the Shekhinah, that God's presence, can be in more than one place at once, which makes sense, because if you think about it, there are sources throughout Talmud that say that God's presence rests on various people doing various things. Ten who gather for their prayers, three who gather for Birkat HaMazon, for the grace after meals, may perhaps even two or even one for studying Torah. How is it possible? And there, there's very beautiful images given that the God's presence, sort of like sunlight, can be broken up and be in all sorts of different places at once, so God's presence. So returning to the issue of Megillah, my question in reading this is why Lotema? Why shouldn't we have to say the Shekhinah couldn't be in both of those places at once. And the answer seems to be that it's not that God couldn't be in those places at once, but that the Shekhinah itself rests in a different way on those places. That God's presence isn't just resting there the way that God's presence rests in all of those moments where we study or pray, but that just like God's presence was based in the Beit HaMikdash, was based in the Holy Temple, when we went into exile into Babylonia, God's presence moved first to one of those synagogues, then to another of those synagogues. And not just because of things that people did for God's presence to rest upon them, the way we think of the potential of the Shekhinah at all times, but that God's presence moved as a base. And that's a very powerful idea, especially because as I prepare these dapim, 
we are approaching Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, and as we are learning them in Daf Yomi, we have just finished the ninth of Av, the moment, of course, of the commemoration of the destruction of the temple, the beginning of this exile uh, in two different times, and uh, the moment in which God's presence is if was exiled, according to the source as well. And yet, not only is God's presence available to us, even in exile, but according to these sources, even the basing of God's presence, some kind of replacement, even if just a tiny bit of replacement for the Holy Temple is possible. Now, that is not where the Gemara leaves it. There is a conversation about whether or not this is in fact the way to see uh, these temples. Um, there are the stories of God's presence appearing in these different places, and what does it mean? Eventually, we will understand that there is a conditionality to God's presence in these other synagogues. And in other places in the Talmud, there is even a discussion of whether or not there really is a possibility in all of experiencing God's presence outside the land of Israel. And that is a strong strain. Uh, the Ramban, in particular, Nachmanides, talks about the fact that even commandments that are done outside the land of Israel are not on the same level, almost as if being done for practice, as they are when they're done in the land of Israel, when it's possible to be there. And yet, as powerful as that strain is, we have here in the Talmud the other side, which is that not only can we achieve the experience of God's presence through our actions outside of the land of Israel and outside of the, fra the practice and the framework of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, but there even can be a base for God's presence in Babylonian. That what it means for God to go into exile with us is not only as individuals, but as communities. And not only as individual communities, but as Knesset Yisrael, as the community of Israel that is in exile. It's a very powerful way to think about what Judaism means, and it's the tension between these two ideas, especially in our time, especially at this time when on the calendar as well as in the very uh, events that are going on, our thoughts are, are in Israel, and some people studying here may very well be in Israel. We are capable of being back in Israel, in Jerusalem, and yet we still are in Galut in a certain way in exile, since we do not have the framework of the holy temple and the function of the temple as the base of the Shekhinah. So where is that presence based at the moment? Sometimes here, sometimes there. That's all that we're left with, with this source, the possibility that God's presence can be based even with us in exile. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.